Thanks to the wonderful folks at Anchor.fm. Welcome, listeners, to Tom Reads Your Story. Join voice actor Tom Zania as he reads from social media, news articles, his past audiobook recordings, and other spoken word projects, including those great writing projects that you send in. And now, here's your host, voice actor and podcaster, Tom Zania. And thank you, Mr. Announcer, for that wonderful introduction. Welcome, fans of the spoken word. This is Tom Read Your Story. I'm Tom Zania. Thanks for stopping by. I'm glad you're here. So today, we are going to talk a little bit about the election night of 2020. And I'll be right back after this. The afterlife is not at all what Jack Duffy had expected. A failed suicide attempt launches him into a world that tests his abilities. In this world, he learns more about himself after a lifetime of horrific decisions. The Borrowed Soul, written by Paul B. Kohler and narrated by Tom Zania. Listen to this incredible book by visiting audible.com. Approximately 5% left. They can't catch us. We also, uh, 
if you look and you see uh, Arizona, we have yeah. a lot of life in that. And somebody said, somebody declared that it was a victory for, and maybe it will be. I mean, that's possible. But certainly there were a lot of votes out there that we could get because we're now just coming into what they call Trump territory. I don't know what you call it, but these were friendly Trump voters. And that could be overturned. The gentleman that called it, I watched tonight. He said, well, we think it's fairly unlikely that he could catch. Well, fairly unlikely. <laughs> and we don't even need it. We don't need that. That was just a state that if we would have gotten it, it would have been nice, Arizona. But there's a possibility, maybe even a good possibility. In fact, since I saw that originally, it's been changed, and the numbers have substantially come down just in a small amount of votes. So we want that, obviously, to stay in play. But most importantly, we're winning Pennsylvania by a tremendous amount. We're, and we are back. What you just heard was from CNN. It was a speech that took place uh, of course, uh, on election night, while everyone had decided to go to bed uh, well before 3 a.m. And that's when Trump walked out and said, this is the latest press conference or something like that I've ever done, something on that order. And, of course, all of his followers and minions were in the room at the White House waiting for him to talk about uh, the uh, election returns on November 3rd. And like you, I'm really upset and in a way not surprised because of what this man has done and how far we have bent over backwards to satisfy this guy. We bent over backwards. We, we forgave him for uh, colluding with uh, Vladimir Putin uh, during the 2016 election. We forgave him when he was uh, impeached over a year ago and got away with it. And then there's a number of other things. There's probably an entire laundry list. In fact, I know there's an entire laundry list of things that we bent over backwards to forgive him for. We, we've bent over backwards to find a, uh, a Democratic candidate for him to run against that you know wasn't too liberal. Joe Biden, great man. So you all know what happened. Uh, Joe was winning, and of course, Trump feared for his political life and said, oh, there's been cheating. And now he says he wants to go to the Supreme Court um, and, of course, sue. So, uh, going to the Supreme Court is the ultimate uh, Trump prescription for when he's in trouble. Trump has so much experience with lawyers and courtrooms because that's all he's ever been is sued. And when he gets the chance to turn it around, he'll do it because he is a rotten, no good excuse for a president and we're never going to live this down so at this point in the game uh 
I think Biden is still ahead and they're still taking the votes. Uh, you know, the, the, he's, he's a man who thinks people will change the rules for him because he's rich and because he's a, a, the president. Uh, it has nothing to do with him worrying about the people, uh, what the people need. He's probably worked harder. He's probably going to be working harder uh, taking uh, taking the country to court to get his way than he has for getting rid of coronavirus. But that's okay with him. It's, uh, you know, you, you got to remember, Trump never wanted to be president. He wanted to be God. Okay? That's who Trump is. Nothing to do with being called to be a great leader. No, forget it. He's just a rich old man who wants to chalk it up for when he's on his deathbed. He can say, I was the president and blah, blah, blah. So what we have today and what I'm going to play is an article I just recorded from the Atlantic magazine. And I, I, have, to, I have to tell you this before you listen to it. This article was released on Atlantic Magazine November 2nd. So the irony is there. We know what happened on the 3rd. It's now the 4th. And uh, I need you to listen to this. It's all of the things that a man like Trump can do to get his way, especially at election time. And uh, like I said, this is from the Atlantic Magazine. I hope you like it. How Trump Could Attempt a Coup by Barton Gelman, The Atlantic, November 2nd, 2020. A wretched presidential campaign has played out at last, but Election Day is not how this story ends. Unable to overtake his opponent in the polls, Donald Trump decided months ago to run against the election itself. That race does not conclude when the ballots are counted. Trump has raged against fictional plots to steal his victory, maligning routine procedures such as voting by mail and counting ballots until there are no more to count. His rage will not diminish if he is defeated. Our electoral system was not built to withstand a sustained assault on its legitimacy. We are capable of defending it, but that is a collective enterprise. A healthy start would be to recognize that the assault has yet to begin in earnest. Election Day and the period to follow will be moments of maximum temptation for Trump. Can he find a way to interfere with the tabulation of votes, impound ballots in the mail, dispatch armed personnel to quell alleged disturbances in Democratic neighborhoods? The battle for American democracy will not be fully joined until the counting starts. That's when Trump will tell us that his predictions have come true, that the whole procedure is rife with fraud, that the tally is rigged against him, and that no one can be trusted against Trump himself to tell us who won and who lost. The vital questions are whether and how he will try to use his power to subvert the results. Whether, I think, is easy. 
We have been over this before. Trump will not concede defeat. He will use every means at his disposal to maintain a grip on power. That qualifier, at his disposal, is important. It marks a distinction between wishes and commands that Trump can expect to be carried out. We know Trump's intent. He is indifferent to any interest but his own and ruthless in its pursuit. What we need to know, in self-defense, is his capability. Trump stands atop a vast apparatus of government, ostensibly under his control, but not entirely so, in fact. To move the government, Trump needs to know where the levers are and how to control them. In practice, this means persuading other people to operate the machinery on his behalf. Some of those people would balk at certain kinds of orders. The Constitution anoints Trump the chief law enforcement officer of the United States, but he cannot lock up Joe Biden or disqualify him from the race by executive order, no matter how much he yearns publicly to do so. He is commander-in-chief of the armed forces, but he cannot declare martial law, delay the election, and expect the troops to go along. The men and women he likes to call my generals would not obey. What, then, can Trump do? In public, Biden and his senior advisors profess full confidence in the electoral system to work as it always has. Every vote will be counted, they say, and the winner will be sworn in on January 20. End of story. Behind the scenes, they are preparing for the worst. A special working group of high-powered lawyers, led by three former solicitors general, Walter Dellinger, Donald B. Verrilli, Jr., and a recent addition, Seth Waxman, has overseen a massive planning exercise for rapid responses to dozens of scenarios in which Trump tries to interfere with the normal functioning of the election. Thousands of pages of legal analysis, according to an authoritative campaign source, have been boiled down into template pleadings for at least 49 pre-drafted emergency motions in state or federal court. The campaign will be ready on an hour's notice to file for a temporary restraining order in any case it has thus far been able to anticipate. There is no question that the Biden campaign has worked through every imaginable scenario and is certainly prepared, legally at least, for any of these possibilities, says Richard H. Pildes, a constitutional law professor at NYU. Nothing Trump might do would surprise the enormous legal team They've created to deal with twists and turns in the election. I assure you, they've thought of more scenarios than the media would ever get to. The Biden team says it is ready even for scenarios it is sure will never happen, and we're not worried about it, a Biden campaign lawyer told me. There have been a couple of lawsuits challenging Kamala Harris's eligibility to be vice president, he said. Do we have stuff on that? Yeah. Do I think we have to worry about it? Absolutely not. Preparations for other cases feel more urgent, he said. Biden advisors, some of whom requested anonymity so that they could discuss this work, and independent experts I spoke with have gamed out multiple scenarios with variations of law and circumstance in which Trump sends forces to seize or segregate or intercept ballots before they can be counted. Some of the scenarios seem far-fetched, 
others less so. Here are three they have taken seriously, along with reasons to doubt that Trump can pull them off. The White House did not respond to a request for comment. Number one, sending the troops. Command of U.S. armed forces is among the most potent powers of any president. Could Trump dispatch active duty forces to Democratic strongholds in swing states, say, Philadelphia, Detroit, and Milwaukee, with intent to suppress the vote or interfere with the count? In a recent Atlantic story, I speculated on the possibility. Suppose that caravans of Trump supporters adorned in Second Amendment accessories converge on big city polling places on Election Day. They have come, they say, to investigate reports on social media of voter fraud. Counter-protesters arrive, fistfights break out, shots are fired, and voters flee or cannot reach the polls. Then suppose the president declares an emergency. Federal personnel in battle dress, staged nearby in advance, move in to restore law and order and secure the balloting. Amid ongoing clashes, they stay to monitor the canvas. They close the streets that lead to the polls. They take custody of uncounted ballots in order to preserve evidence of fraud. Could it happen? Not easily and not likely, but it is not impossible either. If Trump cared at all about conforming to law, he would need a reason under the Insurrection Act of 1807 for the use of troops in domestic law enforcement. In early June, Trump threatened to invoke that authority to quell disorder during widespread protests in American cities over the death of George Floyd. That kind of deployment has precedent most recently in 1992 to suppress rioting in Los Angeles after white police officers were acquitted in the beating of Rodney King, a black motorist, and in the 1950s and 60s when it was used to enforce desegregation orders in the South. Trump, in theory, could seize upon any violence around polling places, even violence touched off by his own supporters to justify the deployment. He might even cast his intervention as a bid to protect voters' civil rights. Those justifications would be slender reeds, and they would run into a major legal obstacle. Trump's power as commander-in-chief is exclusive, but not unbounded. It is subject to statutory limits, and federal law forbids, under criminal penalty, the presence of any troops or armed men at any place where a general or special election is held. There is, however, an exception. Troops are permitted, if necessary, to repel armed enemies of the United States. An aggressive interpretation of that phrase, according to Dakota Rudsell, a professor of national security law at Ohio State University's Moritz College of Law, might describe agents of Antifa in those terms. That would be a stretch, but we've seen a lot of stretches from Trump. Rootsil said. If troops took possession of ballots, obviously what we're talking about are profoundly severe, extreme, shocking deployments that would be just massive norm violations and the sort of thing you see in authoritarian states like Russia that have the forms and processes but are not democracies anymore. But who could stop the president? Courts are often deferential to the executive branch in matters of national security, and it is unclear what remedy they could order, even if they ruled the deployment illegal. 
there are no do-overs in a presidential election. Most election law experts I talked with expressed deep skepticism of this scenario. The kinds of things you're talking about are the kinds of things that would lead to rioting in the streets, said Richard L. Hasten, a professor at the UC Irvine School of Law. Now we've truly crossed into banana republic territory. Maybe rioting is just what Trump would want in order to validate the deployment, I observed. You're one of the few people I know who's darker than I am, Hasten replied. One practical barrier, according to a lawyer advising the Biden team, is that it would take a lot of troops in a lot of places to have an impact that clearly helps him. A huge number of people have already voted, the lawyer added. How many troops do you have to send to how many places to affect a national election? And you've got to worry about whether you can actually get them to do what you want. The last point is the real constraint on Trump's use of troops. The practical barrier he likely cannot surmount. It is hard to imagine the armed forces going along. General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, is not in the formal chain of command, but he spoke for the top uniformed leadership in a highly unusual written statement to the House Armed Services Committee disclaiming any role for the U.S. military in the event of an election dispute. Biden's team has emergency legal papers prepared, but a senior advisor said flatly that there is no way that he's going to persuade the Pentagon to send troops. Number one, the advisor said, the senior brass don't want to, so let's start with that. And number two, they make an independent evaluation about whether the action is legal. And there are at least two statutes that not only prohibit the troops from being deployed near polling places, but actually impose liability on the officers and arms-bearing soldiers. There is a caveat here, even so, the advisor acknowledged. It is also a serious crime under the Uniform Code of Military Justice to disobey a lawful order. Disobedience flies in the face of a lifetime's training for a man or woman in uniform. Anyone who defies the commander-in-chief had better be sure. Number two, intercepting the mail. Trump and his political advisors have good reason to assume that ballots sent by mail are likely to be Biden votes. Trump himself is the principal driver of that skew because he has equated absentee voting with fraud and many of his supporters believe him. It might be in Trump's interest, then, to interfere with the delivery of those ballots. Could he? Experts considered one scenario that the Biden team has gamed out. John Ratcliffe, the director of national intelligence, passes word that top-secret information suggests an effort by China to forge absentee ballots, a risk that Attorney General Bill Barr has publicly raised as a matter of common sense. The report reaches Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, a major campaign contributor to Trump. DeJoy instructs the chief of the U.S. Postal Inspection Service to halt the delivery of ballots sent by mail. Here, even a temporary delay is strategically valuable to a sufficiently ruthless president. Twenty-eight states require that absentee ballots arrive by Election Day. The other 22 have deadlines within a few days. A ballot cannot be counted 
if it does not arrive on time, and the Supreme Court has been reluctant to permit a change of rules close to Election Day. Running out the clock is a potential concern, Pildes said. S. David Finnerman, a former chairman of the Postal Service's Board of Governors, told me that postal inspectors could theoretically detain the mail for investigation purposes. The Postal Service could take the position, we're not going to deliver any more mail to the county boards of election, he said. Finnerman said any more like this would be transparent and outrageous. He described it as a little bit far-fetched, if only for practical reasons. Since late last week, he pointed out, the Biden campaign and his allies have urged voters to stop using the mail, warning that ballots might not arrive on time. Tens of millions of ballots have already been delivered. If Trump were going to pull this move, he would probably have done it sooner. On the other hand, every vote counts in a closely contested state. Number three, the law enforcement option. What I do worry about, the senior Biden advisor said, is an operation that combines federal law enforcement forces under Barr's command, as Barr arranged for the photo opportunity in Lafayette Square in June, including some combination of DHS and the Marshal Service. In this scenario, federal authorities would purport to be investigating voter fraud and take steps to stop the counting. There is not much plausible authority to do that under federal law, but the law would not really be the point. If the FBI or U.S. Marshals showed up at a county election board with orders to seize the ballots, local officials would probably comply. When I asked Lisa Mannheim, a University of Washington law professor, about this scenario, she figuratively threw up her hands. Baked into your question is the idea that the president would somehow use legal means to then commit unlawful actions, so I understand why you're asking it, but conceptually speaking, you're not really asking a legal question, she said. You're asking more just a question of power when some legal pretexts lend legitimacy to that exercise of power. The law has a really hard time knowing what to do with pretext, she added. Where a governmental actor is purporting to do something for one reason, but in fact doing it for another reason, Chuck Rosenberg, a former U.S. attorney and a former acting head of the Drug Enforcement Administration, was likewise somewhat flummoxed by the question. I am not as sinister as the president, so it's really hard for me to think of ways to do something so out of line, so far out of norms, he said. How unrealistic do you want me to get? Rosenberg, echoing several other experts, said career assistant U.S. attorneys and FBI agents would rebel against such a plan. It would require complicity at the executive management level and gullibility on the part of those following orders, he said. That's hard for me to see. Justin Levitt, a Loyola Marymount University law professor and a former deputy assistant attorney general, said the trouble with the scenario is, I don't think that Bill Barr can carry out that many ballots out of any given room. And I say that because I don't think that career attorneys at the Department of Justice would have any part in authorizing or signing off on 
or participating in an unlawful attempt to seize custody over ballots that were still in contention in the state. I fully believe that Trump and, unfortunately, Barr will seize every advantage they can because they have shown that they are willing to, he said. My firewall is that there's very little that they can do themselves. The equivalent of asking DOJ lawyers to seize ballots based on completely visible pretext is asking the military to line up and shoot a crowd of peaceful civilians in the face. The Justice Department manual for prosecuting election crimes says that in most cases, documents relating to an election should not be taken from the custody of local election administrators until the election to which they pertain has been certified and the time for contesting the election results has expired. There is an exception for cases in which prosecutors allege that local election administrators seek to retain or destroy the election records for a corrupt purpose or to further an ongoing election fraud scheme. In recent voting litigation, according to Edward B. Foley, a constitutional law professor at Ohio State, the Trump administration is taking the position that it's a denial of voting rights to have fake ballots dilute real ballots, which means they have a legal theory for thinking that state elections fall under federal jurisdiction. You can't just say there's no power of the federal government at all in these things, he added. You just have to hope it will not be abused. The idea of using DOJ power to try to thwart the popular vote is taking us into truly uncharted territories. Bob Bauer, a former White House counsel who was advising the Biden campaign, said the challenge for Trump would not be making an accusation of fraud, but backing it up. No court would allow the government to seize and hold ballots without evidence, he said. And I don't know how they could conjure it up and sustain that claim if it's tested in any kind of adversarial process. The ultimate check on Trump's power to meddle in the election is the same as it has been throughout his term in office, whether he can bend subordinates and institutions to his will. The record on that is mixed. Bauer said a decisive loss in preliminary poll returns would greatly diminish the president's power to push government agencies or fellow Republican leaders across normative lines. I am not sure when he looks behind him that he's going to see the massive army that he thinks that he leads, he said. And, of course, that was Barton Gelman's article in a great magazine, The Atlantic, um, called How Trump Could Attempt a Coup, which is trying to happen right now, which he's trying to make happen right now. But hang in there, folks. I believe uh, Joe Biden, our candidate, is still ahead and... I hope he wins. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you enjoyed your visit today, please tell your friends and be sure to email me at tomreadyourstoryyahoo.com or if you have a message or a comment, you can call 929-260-1952. Once again, that number is 
1960-1952. As always, thanks, Anchor.fm, for the chance to have an ongoing podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Until next time, stay safe and take care. For more information on Tom's availability for your e-learning, commercial, audiobook, or video project, visit his website at www.tomzvoices.weebly.com. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Tom Reads Your Story.